Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing for us to, to gather together around the throne of grace with confidence. We are concluding what has been so far three weeks, but now will be a four-week series on this idea of how are we going to be an effective church at reaching the world in a world that not only has changed an unimaginable amount compared to the world I grew up in, but is always changing. How do we navigate that? When, when the map is always shifting, when, when we don't know exactly which of the strategies or the skills or the commitments that we've had in the past in terms of reaching the world, whether or not they're going to work. And so over the past three weeks of the series, we have wrestled with what, what kind of choices do we need to make? Not when we're already backed into a corner and we're wondering about whether or not our church has a future, but how would we get ahead of that moment and make proactively some choices about the kind of church we want to be so that we can reach and save this world that God loves so much. And so we talked about being a church that chooses connection over content, that, that we need community in addition to true ideas so that we can experience the truth of the gospel, which is not just that our relationship as individuals with God is healed, but that, that God wants to heal all of our broken relationships, all of the, the things that happen between us that cause us to break faith with one another. The gospel says that God wants to put us back together again. What would it look like for us to, to recognize it's not just a set of ideas that you either agree with or you think that's yeah, true or it's not true. It's something that you live out and you need other people to live it out. We, we talked about being a church that chooses dedication over distraction, that in a world where we are constantly bombarded with different options of what we can pay attention to, even while we're in the midst of doing something that's really important, something that matters to us, half the time we're thinking about the next thing we're, we're going to do, or we're thinking about what we wish we were doing instead. What would it look like for us to resist that kind of constant distraction so that we can be all in? All in when it comes to our commitment to following Christ. All in when it comes to what does it mean to be a community that's trying to share Christ with one another and with a watching world. That takes, as James talked about, that, that takes more than just one decision or one moment where we recognize that. But we have to choose that dedication over and over again. And we talked about the truth that part of the reason we're dissatisfied in so many different areas of our lives, or at least that's what it seems like to me as I, I look at what's going on with most people is that we're not fully focused in any area of our lives. And the quality of our, our dedication always determines the quality of our, our satisfaction. What would it mean for us to choose that dedication? And then last week we talked about being a church that chooses responding over reacting. In a world where things seem to be right on the edge of, of blowing up or falling apart, what would it mean for us as Christ followers to be known, being a calm place that people can come, a community where when we realize there's a disagreement among us, and there will always be disagreements among us, that we, we choose to respond in a way that honors our commitment to Christ. As we disagree, as we try to work things out, as we try to figure things out, that we have that patience with one another because we we always remember how patient God has been towards us. 
Well, today we're going to conclude this, this short series of, of wrestling with these choices by asking ourselves what it, what it mean for us to be a community of faith that chooses mission over maintenance. In a world where I think the unspoken mission statement for most churches is this, we'll do whatever it takes to keep the people we already have happy so that no one will leave. That doesn't really fit on a coffee cup. And you'd have to have a, you know, at least a large size on your t-shirt to fit all that on there. But I, I think if most churches were honest, this is what's leading them to make the vast majority of their decisions, at least when it comes to the, the leaders of those congregations. And I think the reason that this often becomes the, the unspoken mission statement is because we live increasingly, not just in a world that's changing, but in a world that's post-Christian. We live in a world that, that has moved beyond caring as much as it, at least it felt like it did to me, that, that our culture cared about church and church people and those values. It's, it's just something that now feels like it's more relegated to the past, doesn't it? And when you get to that place of feeling like you're just fighting to survive, you're fighting to make it, you're fighting for, for being relevant, you get to the place where you just think, you know what, maybe our best shot at still being here five years, 10 years, 20 years from now is to just focus on the people we already have and make sure we don't do anything to cause anybody to, to decide that they want to leave. You know, the, the problem is this. You can't possibly keep everybody happy all the time. And something is broken within the church community when we stop acting like real family and we start acting like clients and customers. And we've talked about this before, but I always wrestle with why would, why would I settle for being a client or a customer when I could be a brother or a sister? Well, I think part of the reason we might be tempted as leaders to see the church that way, and, and those of us as church members may be, you know, at the place where we, we don't mind being treated that way, is clients and customers get their needs met without much of anything being asked from them, other than an exchange of, you know, finances maybe, or time. They put that in, and then they, they get to expect that, that what they like, what they want, what they prefer, it's, it's always going to be given to them. Or at least you, you have a sense that the, the people who are trying to offer you those goods and services are trying. And so church then becomes a place of religious and spiritual goods and services. And it's, it's almost like you've got this buffet, you know, and there's all these choices and all these options. And you can kind of just pick and choose the parts of church that, that you prefer. And, and you can avoid the parts of church that, that you don't like as much. That's only gotten to be an increasing challenge in our world where you can even choose between in-person or, or online, right? Real flesh and blood interactions or virtual interactions. There's, there's twice, it seems, at least, the number of different options now than we've ever had before. But I'm, I'm convinced that that kind of interaction at church, eventually you reach a place where you realize the emptiness of that. 
You, you realize what it does to you to constantly be in a posture to receive and never really as much in a posture to sacrifice and to give for the sake of another. And you can start to think that, that something's wrong with church if it ever feels uncomfortable. And yet I am convinced, while I don't in every sermon or in every Sunday want you to feel uncomfortable, part of growing up, part of of growing up as disciples of Jesus Christ is having the courage and the maturity to face the things that make us uncomfortable about this commitment that we we said we want to make when it comes to following Jesus. Following Jesus is not supposed to always make us comfortable. It's supposed to challenge us. It's supposed to unsettle us. And yeah, we have more than enough churches in a town like Abilene where if you get uncomfortable at this church, you've got, you know, I don't even know how many other options that are open and available. Or you can just say, you know what, I don't, I don't like that feeling, so I'm going to go over here where everything always helps me feel comfortable. Here's the danger in all of that is we can start to think that ultimately the church and the gospel and Jesus, all of it, it's about me. It's about me getting what I want, both now and forever. And, and we, we start to lose the, the fact that the horizon of the gospel call, it includes me, but it never stops with me. It calls me to, to you. It calls us collectively to the world. And if we stop halfway, it's not, it's not that the, the grace of God isn't trying to work on our lives in the midst of all that. Of, of course, the grace of God is not dependent on our ability to make it happen or make it not happen. But the ultimate work, the outflow of, of the work of grace is that we become people of grace. And if we're not becoming people of grace in our relationships with one another and the church's relationship with the world, if it's antagonistic, if it's the church versus the world, if it's us versus them, then we have lost somewhere in in all of our our focus on what we want. We've lost track of what God has always wanted, which is to heal the brokenness and give people a place of welcome and belonging and transformation a transformation that we don't force to happen through the fear of threat, but a transformation that the Holy Spirit makes happen through the love and the presence of God, not only in God's word, not only in somebody's heart, but within God's church. Look, what I'm trying to say here is this, that a church that places more value on meeting the preferences of the saved than on reaching the lives of the lost is a church that has forgotten what matters most. Does that make you a little uncomfortable? It makes me really uncomfortable. Because there are times when I feel like I am far more experienced in and skilled at meeting the preferences of the saved than I even know how to effectively reach the lives of the lost. So I stick with what I know. I stick with what I think I'm at least decent at doing. And I, I just decide, again, that, look, we are facing all kinds of, of cultural headwinds and spiritual challenges. There's so much going on. You know, if we're going to make it through, we at least need to keep the people we have. 
We need to keep them here. We need to keep them happy so that they'll be here. And then if we get everything worked out and we're all in a place where we're comfortable, then together we'll start to reach the world. But I never really know how that's supposed to happen. I just hope that people in the world will notice how comfortable, comfortable we are and say, I'd like to be comfortable that way. And then they'll, they'll come visit us. And then we'll have enough options that they like that they'll stay. The best shot I have typically at thinking about what would it mean for us to grow as a church is that I'll do such a good job, an effective job at meeting the preferences of church members, the saved, that other church members at other churches might come here. And so I've decided I'll settle for sheep shifting or sheep stealing and just saying, well, it's it's not our goal, but we'll accept it. When if I'm being completely honest, it's, it's the only way I know how to get more people at church is to attract other churched people. That's not what God is calling me to. That's not what God is calling our church to. It's fine when people, for whatever reasons, come to a place where they want to join us in ministry. They want to join us in what it means to follow Jesus in this community. Everybody's welcome. If, if you're new to our church family, you've come from another church, I'm not questioning your decision to do that. And I'll be honest, it's, it's not something that anywhere in writing or, or anywhere clear that we've stated as a church that we want to try to attract other church members to our church. It's just the only way we grow. And we've got to make the decision to change that, being the primary way that we grow. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up, left everything behind, and followed him. And then Levi threw a great banquet for Jesus in his home. A large number of tax collectors and others sat down to eat with them, and the Pharisees and their legal experts grumbled against his disciples. They said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people but sinners to change their hearts and lives. Now listen to the same language that echoes in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he's thrilled and places it on his shoulders when he arrives home. He calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell them, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. In both of these stories, you have Jesus being surrounded by, I think, what we'd call church people, religious people, 
religious leaders. And they're worked up because Jesus seems to prefer to spend his time to to focus on people who aren't yet welcomed by them. And they feel like if Jesus is who he says he is, if he really is God's chosen Messiah, that he should spend all of his time with God's holy people. So why is he spending so much time with with people who don't belong? And Jesus, in these two places, makes it clear. I didn't come to make people who are confident in their own salvation feel more confident. I came to try to help people who can't imagine that they belong in a relationship with me, with God, with God's people. I've come to tell them that they do belong. That's who I'm focused on. And that's who you should be focused on. He doesn't say that, right? But that's the implied encouragement. And, and it helps me come to the place where I think we really need to understand that we're not going to save the church by locking things down and focusing on the people we already have here and keeping all of us happy as much as we possibly can. That isn't going to save the church. What's going to save the church is if we risk everything to help Jesus save the world. And it feels scary to me to say that. It feels uncomfortable for me to wrestle with what, what is that actually going to mean? What's that actually going to look like? And, and I told you a handful of weeks ago when we started this series, this series is not some four-week message series that then sits up, sets up some kind of institutional shift that, that I've cooked up in some back room somewhere, the elders have come up with somewhere, and that we're, I'm going to launch at the end of this sermon that these are all the new initiatives that we're going to do as a church. Because that isn't going to work. It doesn't matter what I think by myself, and frankly, it doesn't really matter what the collective formal leadership of this church thinks. It matters what together as a church family we believe together, right? Not individuals, but together. What do we really believe matters most? And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, if what matters most to me, if what matters most to you is that we keep the church we have or we try to revive the church we had, instead of asking God what kind of church Is he wanting us to be? What kind of church is he wanting us to have? I don't know how else to say it. We don't deserve to make it. That's a really challenging truth to have to face. And it's so much easier to try to go back in time and pretend The world hasn't really changed all that much, and so the church doesn't need to change at all. And and we can use the doors of the church building as kind of a time machine back to a simpler day when things were were clearer and they made more sense and, and we felt like we knew how to navigate things. We understood the map. Maybe we felt like we got to make the map. And 
I mean, isn't nostalgia great? Isn't it? I mean, it, it feels like a comfortable blanket. You know, the problem is it's like, it's like spiritual anesthesia where it's putting you to sleep. And I think we reach for nostalgia for the same reason we need anesthesia. We reach for it to avoid pain. I don't want to be awake for a surgery, do you? But us going to sleep and pretending, whether it's weekly or whenever we get together and we talk to our friends who, who grew up in church, maybe like, maybe like we did and had the same kind of church experiences, and just I just, I just want to feel that again. I understand it, brothers and sisters. I have all those same feelings. You think I don't want to go back to 1992? I mean, everything seemed like it was easier then. Part of it was because I wasn't an adult yet. You know, and I, I, was, I was pretty much just showing up to, to church and, and trying to make it through my dad's sermons. And, you know, he'd worked on them with me during the week, kind of talking through, so I felt like I was kind of watching a rerun. I made the mistake once of telling him that right after church, and it was a really quiet drive home. You don't think I want to go back? I know why nostalgia feels good, but it never tells us the truth about the world we're facing now. We need courage more than we need nostalgia. And we need to focus on God's good future that he's calling us into. Do we really only think, do we really only trust that God was present to us in the past? Are we not confident that God is going to be present to us in the future? That God is present to us now and, and longing for us to embrace his mission more than we try to get our preferences met? I want to ask three questions. And if you've got a cell phone, I want you to, once, once these three questions kind of build on this list, I want you to take a picture of it because I can't answer these questions for you. That's what I mean when I say, I don't have all the answers I wish I did, but, but I do feel like I have some sense of the kind of questions we should be asking ourselves, and I, I don't have some list of programs that are going to make all of this magically better. I, I want us to pray and talk as a church together, and I don't just mean while we're in this building, but as a, as a family of faith, I want us to wrestle with what would it look like for us to really embrace God's mission here and now in ways we haven't before, or at least in ways we aren't right now. The first question is this, who's the one you're willing to leave the 99 for? Do you have a face and a name of someone you know in your life who doesn't already belong to a church family? Someone who Jesus would call lost. Someone who doesn't really know where they're headed or what matters most or who they can be because of the love of God. Who is your one that you're willing to leave the 99 for? And if you don't have that person, you need to find one. And if everybody in your life is someone who's already a Christian, you need to expand your network of who you spend time with. And I know it's frightening, and I know there's all kinds of questions we might have, and I know there's all kinds of challenges that we might have to face. 
But we, all of us in this room, should have a person in our hearts that we would leave the 99 for. They might be in your family. I don't know. Who is that person? Do you know who they are? Are you praying for opportunities to help bring them closer to Christ, to help bring them into this community of faith? You know, I I struggle at times with having easy access to non-Christians, right? Because one of my primary tasks in any given day or week or month or year is to tend to the flock we have. And yet, while that's a part of what, what I think I've been tasked with, it can't ever be all of what I do. And so I, every semester I teach freshman Bible. It's the class that everybody at ACU is forced to take. Which means every year I feel like there's an increasing number of students in that class who if they had to choose, wouldn't have chosen to study the Gospels or the New Testament. And I have a semester to help them have a sense that even if the churches they've been around don't really like them, Jesus loves them. And that the Bible isn't some difficult book that's intentionally written where only a proud few people can understand the story, but that the story is simply that God would go to any distance to close the distance, that God would do anything to undo the bad things we've done so that we can stop living lives that are defined by our mistakes and start living lives that are defined by his hope. And every semester, I'm an easy A, and it's gotten out. (laughs) And so I have a pretty diverse group of students, and I often have a lot of athletic students. Again, many of whom didn't fully know what they were getting into when they agreed to go to ACU and just how much Bible they were going to have to take. And I'm telling you, church, every semester I've had at least one who comes up to me after the first week and says, I've never been to church and I've never opened the Bible and I'm scared to death. Can you help me? And for a semester, I get to walk alongside of them. And I can't tell you how many times those same people have had to go through difficult challenges in that semester and they come to me because they don't know where else to turn. It is really hard to balance teaching a a freshman Bible class of 50 or 60 students on top of all the other stuff I'm doing, but I'm going to keep making that space in my life because I I need to keep finding just one more, a person I would leave the 99 for. Who is that person for you? Okay, second, what about our church needs to change so that we can reach new people? I don't like this question because part of your answer might be the preaching. I'm kidding. (laughs) Isn't it great when you talk about the future in vague, kind of abstract, fuzzy ways, but then you never actually have to wrestle with the changes, the choices you're going to have to make? Now, honestly, I don't know the answer to this question. And I certainly can't answer this question from your perspective. And I'm not going to tell you that I 
if we make this one change, then all of the, the people in, in Abilene who haven't yet committed to a church family, they're going to suddenly show up here and they're, they're going to be here with us. I, I don't think there's going to be one magic bullet. All I know is if the reason we're resisting change, if the reason we're trying to be comfortable is because we think that that's, that's enough. We have forgotten that the reason we exist is not ourselves. It's the world. The church exists for the world. The church doesn't exist for the church. And it's not just the staff that gets things ready so that other people can show. It's not just our volunteer teams that get things ready so that, that you can come and receive, right? It's, it's this opportunity for all of us to have times when we give and times we receive. And there's this rhythm back and forth because we all need times where we're carried and times when we carry one another. If we're gonna be a, a, a kind of human being that Jesus longs for us to be, to have the experience that we're supposed to experience. If all we ever do is take and we never give, we're gonna be we're going to live our lives out of balance. And we're going to miss the unique blessing that comes when we give more of ourselves than we think we can possibly give and we find out that God blesses us with more, more, more sense of purpose, more, more resources, more responsibilities, more opportunities. This church is perfectly designed to reach the people we're reaching right now. What would need to change in order for us to reach people we aren't reaching right now? I'm convinced Jesus loves them as much as the people we already know how to reach. And I'm convinced God is calling us into places and into relationships we've been avoiding because it's going to help us learn in a new way what it means to be a crucified people who believe the end of the story is always resurrection. Okay, and last, this is where it gets real uncomfortable. What are you personally willing to sacrifice so that our church can reach new people? It's one thing to say, well, man, I really wish our song selection was better. Or I wish the, the, the preaching was more practical or inspiring or whatever, right? It's one thing to say, yeah, I, I would like you to do all the work of the change. But it's another thing for me to come to terms with what would I personally be willing to give up so that this church could reach people we don't know how to reach. Because if it doesn't get to that personal level, this is never going to work. I promise you, brothers and sisters, it's never going to work. If it, if it becomes a list of programs that just a few of us really give our lives to and throw ourselves into, God will use that in ways that are beyond our understanding, but in terms of everybody's life in this church community being caught up in something new and being changed because of that new adventure, it's not gonna happen unless you decide that you're willing to give something that matters to you up because you're convinced that lost people matter more. What are you willing to sacrifice? Because see, if you don't choose to make the sacrifice and I try to make you sacrifice, other churches are going to look really good really fast. Right? And yet I know this. I, I want to have good productive arguments at church and good productive arguments at church should always be about how we can reach new people. 
Those are the kinds of arguments worth having. And too often, when we get into making decisions about the future, we ask about how do we service all of these special interest groups that call our church home, and how do we address that, and how do we keep people? I, I know, but there, there needs to be somebody, and I want it to be you. If you're in a room in this church, and a conversation starts happening about who we are and the changes we're making or the changes we need to make, if, if you hear people, I don't care what room you're in, if you hear our people talking about what they prefer or what they don't prefer and what they like, and what they don't like, and nobody's bringing up the lost, you be the one to bring up the lost. Look, if we're going to be a kind of church that reaches our own children and grandchildren, we're going to have to be uncomfortable. And if we're not willing to be uncomfortable for our own children and grandchildren, what's the chance that you're willing to be uncomfortable for someone you don't know yet, who Jesus died for? If I like everything we're doing when we're together, something's wrong. I'm too old. And some of you are older than me, if you can imagine it, right? And some of you are younger than me. And the reality is, if this church is exactly what I want it to be, what kind of sacrificial life is that really demanding of me? It's not. And it's lulling me to sleep. It's lulling me to spiritual sleep to think that that's enough. That keeping me happy and keeping my family happy and, and singing the kind of stuff we like or, or having the kinds of studies we like or, or whatever, whatever it is, the, the new ministries that, that meet our needs. I get it. That's always going to be in the mix of our hearts and our minds as we figure out what does it mean to be a family. You know, my, Lauren and, and the girls and I, we're at a place, for whatever reason, we're at a stage in our life where the four of us can't decide a single restaurant all four of us like. Someone's always disappointed. And when it happens, I say, that's a part of being a family. Let's get in the car. You know, t- I want a t-shirt that says, Southern Hills Church of Christ, take one for the team. Not really... Uh, Josh, don't order that yet. (laughs) Who's your one that you would leave the rest of us and our preferences for? How does our church need to change to reach people we don't know how how to, to reach people we don't know, know how to connect with? We don't know how to help them understand that we want them here. And what would you personally give up for that to happen? That's, that's how we're going to have a future that's worthy of Jesus' name. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, my prayer for our, our church family is that we're not done wrestling with these questions. And I don't want just a few of us to wrestle with these questions and try to come up with answers for everybody else. I want us as a church family to talk about, talk about it in Bible classes, talk about it at lunch, talk about it in, the, in the, t- the group text that you do during church to make the time pass. Talk about it. Pray about it. Be open to it because Jesus didn't die to help us stay comfortable. Jesus didn't die so we could fall asleep in the light. He died to help us be a light. And I, 
I'm convinced we could do better. Let's stand together and sing.